Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. How the Enneagram made its way into the church, and we're going to start in the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter number 20, the Bible very plainly states in verse number 27, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. That's what our hope and desire is here. We don't just cherry pick verses that we like, but we declare all the counsel of God. When you do that, you're bound to come across something in the Bible that's going to offend you or me or us. And that's the way it ought to be. So We need to declare all the counsel of God. Verse 28, take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Leaders are supposed to oversee to feed the church of God. Notice it's the Lord's church. The pastors, the teachers, the leaders are supposed to feed the church of God. And it's God's church. It's Christ's church. Why? Because the Bible says which he hath purchased with his own blood. This is Christ's church. He purchased it because of that. We should be excited to declare all the counsel of God. Verse 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing, sparing the flock. Is it any surprise that what was going on in the book of Acts is still going on today? Grievous wolves coming in. And they're not going to spare the flock. They're going to try to uh, shear the sheep and slaughter the sheep and with false doctrine. And it says in verse number 30, uh, also of your own selves shall men arise. That means it's going to happen right in the church. Speaking perverse things, what's their motive? To draw away disciples after them. Now, this should be a warning that none of us should follow a man. This is why I say all the time, I'm going to try my best to refer to what the Bible says. If that offends you, too bad. If I offend you, that's my bad. Right? If, if what you tell me in the Bible offends me, too bad. If you offend me, well, that's your bad. We need to take ourselves out of the picture and always point people to the word of God. And I'm not looking to draw disciples. You're not looking to draw disciples. We're looking to draw all men to look and live, <laughs> to look and live. So that's that's the motive behind why we do what we do. And and we have a warning in Acts chapter number 20. The Enneagram, believe it or not, we looked at it last week and we showed it's entered into our state. It's entered into our town uh, in so-called churches. My personal opinion on it is, is that you cease to be a New Testament church when you bring in the occult. So it originated, uh, the Enneagram, with George Jurgiff. Now, he was born in 1866, and he died in 1949. He was a Russian philosopher. He was a mystic, and he was a spiritual teacher. He said people are in in an 
hypnotic waking sleep and they need to be awakened to a state of higher consciousness to reach their full potential. Now, that's what this man believed. It's very obvious to all of us that this man was a pagan. Now, he didn't call it the Enneagram. He called it instead cosmic, the cosmic reality diagram. It was a mystic symbol where you could see the entire universe. And when he started it, it had nothing to do with personality traits, which is what the church, those, I use that term loosely because the true church wouldn't use it. Um, but they would tell you it's just about personality traits. That's not how it originated. George Jurgif came up with the law of three and the law of seven. Uh, in, in the occult, numbers are a big thing. And in the occult, symbols and diagrams are a big thing in the way that they communicate to their followers. And this law of three and law of seven was the flow of all cosmic forces. And the flow corresponded with the number 142857. Again, numbers are a big thing in the occult. The Enneagram has basically two symbols within the circle. It's a triangle, and then there is like a, an odd-shaped symbol that connects in seven points. So this law of seven, the, the occult practitioners discovered that if you divide one, one divided by seven, it will come out to dot 142857. 142857, 142857, and it would keep going to infinity. And they found that to be interesting. And then if they divided 142857 by two, they would come up with the same numbers just scrambled. Two, dot 285714. If you divided 142857 by three, same thing, same number scrambled. Uh, one uh, dot one four two eight five seven divided by four would come out to dot five seven one four two eight. You did the same thing by five and the same thing by six. You would come out with the same numbers coming up. Just the numbers would be in a different order. And then they took dot one four two eight five seven and they divided it by seven. And you know what they came up with? You could do it on your calculator. Dot nine 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 nine. Hence, the ninogram, the nonogram, the aneogram. It's all occultism. It's all occultism. So if you see any church websites, or you see any church conferences, or you see any preachers uh, or study groups that are out of a local church that are using the aneogram. Warn your friends, because this thing is going to start to blow up. Right now, it's starting to be seasoned, but pretty soon it will be larger than it is now. Now, what was missing from the dot 142857? What numbers? Three, six, nine. So when you look at that Enneagram symbol, that's what the triangle represents. Those numbers, three, six, and nine, are connected to the triangle. And they believe, George um, Georgiev and these Enneagram folks, they believe that you can interpret everything from this diagram, even though the origin of it, the diagram has changed over time. But nonetheless, that's the idea and where it started. Now go to 1 John chapter number four. 
1 John chapter number 4. Good book to read if you're a Christian and if you're saved. Uh, of course, all the Bible, but First and Second John specifically. And the Bible says in verse number 1 in First John 4, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Well, why does God tell us to do that? Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know you the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of what? Antichrist. And that's what you've got in these Enneagram authors and these churches that are bringing in the occult. They are not of God. They are anti-Christ and anti-God. Wherever you have heard that it should come. And now, and even now, already is it in the world. Same thing. Then that it is now. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We're not of the world. We have the Spirit of God, and it should alarm us when we hear of these things infiltrating the church. Now, when you're the guy that has to stand out in the ledge as a voice crying in the wilderness, if you will, it doesn't come without criticism. It's anytime you question the powers that should not be, anytime you question the so-called authority, when they move away from the word of God, you're immediately attacked as hateful and mean-spirited. And I'm not, and we should not be, but we should know these things so that we are carefully prepared to deal with what will be, what will be thrown at us. George Jurjev, he taught P.D. Ospensky. He met George in 1915 in Moscow, and P.D. Ospensky, who lived from 1878 to 1947, he called his teachings the fourth way. Now, stay with me, because this is important, especially when it comes to the occult. There were three basic ways that people thought who were anti-Christian. One was the way of Fakir, it's F-A-K-I-R, and that dealt with the physical body. Uh, F-A-K-I-R, Fakir, is an Islamic term, and it was used by Sufi Muslims or to denote Sufi Muslims who renounced all physical possessions, and that's where you've got Sufism. They would not, they, they just renounce anything material or physical. And so the, the first way dealt with a physical uh, dealing. You would isolate yourself from the world because you didn't want any physical possessions. And then so therefore you were more spiritual than everyone else. The second way was the way of the monk. And that typically, well, it dealt with the emotions. The way of fake here was physical. The way of the monk was emotions. And you can see this in different religions. I'll use the Roman Catholicism, but you can apply it to other false religions as well. Um, 
this way of the monk uh, is very assimilated to Roman Catholicism and the idea of you basically had four different lines of priests. You had the Franciscan line, which followed St. Francis of Assisi. You had the Benedictine line, which followed the teachings of St. Benedict. You had the Dominican line of priests, which followed um, St. Dominic, who was a Spanish priest. And then you had the Ignatian line or Jesuit line that was founded by Ignatius Loyola in 1540. And they, they followed him in his quote unquote spiritual exercises. And this way of the monk were described in these four lines of the priests. Again, dealing with the emotions, they would isolate themselves from society and they'd become a monk or they'd become a priest or they'd become a nun or these were just ways of identifying, okay, well, these are the isolationists. So you had the physical way, you had the emotional way, and then you had the way of the yogi. The yogi dealt with the mind. Now, yogi is the feminine term. If you were a man practicing it, you would be called a yogini. So you had the feminine and the masculine. The same in Roman Catholicism. You had your priest or your cardinals or your pope, but then you had your nuns. You had the masculine form and then you had the feminine form. And in, 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 in the way of the yogi or the yogini was the same thing. It was the third way and it dealt with the mind. One was physical, one was emotional, and now one dealt with the mind. And all three of those ways demanded seclusion from society. But the fourth way didn't, which is what P.D. Ospensky came up with. And his fourth way was a, was a way of self-development of the body, of the mind, and of the emotions that didn't require you to isolate yourself from society. You could do it in ordinary life. And that's exactly what he did. And that's exactly why this anagram can so easily be inculcated into society and into churches. You take the idea behind the false doctrine behind the way of the fakir, those, the Sufism, the way of the monk, and then the way of the yogi. You take away the seclusion and now you can make it part of culture and reach more people. George Jurjoff taught this man, P.D. Ospensky, who came up with this fourth way. And there's, I mean, you can just Google it. You'll find all the information. You've got a book and all the whole thing. I mean, he's since passed away, but his books live on. Now, George Jurjoff also taught a man called Oscar Ichezo. He lived from 1931 and died just two years ago in 2020. Oscar, who was taught by George Jurjoff, in 1968, he founded an occult school in Eureka, Chile. And he didn't use the Enneagram for personality testing either. He considered it a body of techniques, hear it again, for cosmic consciousness reality. It's occultism. It was an ideology to relate to the world, not seclusion, but to the world in an awakened way. And he claimed to receive his knowledge from a high-ranking archangel called Metatron. 
this anagram or nine gon or nonagon or nine sided nine sided polygon is all occult paganism. And you thought the holidays were bad. We've got something a lot worse that's making its headway into churches. Go to Jeremiah 17. You can't get away from the book of Jeremiah when you're talking about this occultism stuff. Right past Isaiah, you'll come to the book of Jeremiah. We'll be in the 17th chapter. Watch what the Bible says in verse number 5. Jeremiah 17, verse number 5. Thus saith the Lord. That means we should pay attention. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. I'm not trusting any man. And maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. What's the issue? Two issues going on. Man trusts other men. That's why we say thy word is true. Don't trust me. Just trust what the Bible says. And if I say what the Bible says, go with the Bible. If I don't say what the Bible says, then have it come one in one ear, out the other, and move on. I'm not the authority. You're not the authority. But how the other problem was what? The heart. All of these matters are heart issues. You can paint something to look good. But the heart's the issue. Watch what it says. We all know where we're going with this because we know this uh, verse number nine real well. But look at verse six. For he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. That's the warning if you get away from trusting in God. You're just going to be in a desert place spiritually. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when he cometh. Her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. We all trust in the Lord. This is what we can expect. Our roots go out. And that's what we're doing. We can make a practical application very easily in our community with all of the evangelism that so many of you have been participating in and praying about. And verse number nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The, the verse 10, the preacher searches the heart. <laughs> no, it didn't say the preacher. This idea that we're going to get into some Christian, you know, this Christ, Christian counseling movement, movement that started out of psychology anyway. We should receive counsel. You want to get a big decision to be made? Uh, get with some Christian brothers and sisters and get some good counsel. The Bible's for that. But this idea that the pastor or the preacher or an elder or deacon in the church can somehow diagnose your heart as if he has some special power is ludicrous. You might get some advice from me. I might get some advice from you. One lady from another Christian lady might get some advice and counsel, but this idea that any of us can truly diagnose each other's heart is a falsity. We all should be pointing each other to the one who can try the heart. And, and, and that's just real key, real important. And you just save a lot of people and a lot of families a lot of hardship rather than tying them up for hours upon hours of Christian counseling. And like I said, we all need help at times. 
We all need to sit down and counsel people at times. So we're not against that. But we're against the idea that one man or one preacher would be able to truly diagnose someone's heart. So that's the key point there. And tell me how the Enneagram accomplishes any of that. It doesn't. It leads you away. Wicked hearts lead people astray and they end up in a desert place. And that's where all these Christians are that have embraced this Enneagram. They honestly and truly are just in a desert place. I still don't see how it got into the church. We're getting we're getting there. So this man, Oscar Achezo, he started this occult school in 1968. He taught a man at his occult school called uh, named Claudio Naranjo. And he was born in 1932, and he died a few years back in 2019. Claudio was a new age psychiatrist. And Claudio was the principal man who developed or brought in the idea of personality traits into the Enneagram. Claudio Naranjo did something big. He took the Enneagram to Eshlon which is a place in Big Sur, California. And it was dedicated to holistic education. Now, when you go to Eslan's website, here's some of the talking points that you'll learn. You'll get to explore your potential. Oh, really? It's a space for emergent transformation. Mumbo jumbo. You'll get to liberate your life. Very attractive to people seeking and they don't have the Lord. Do you see why evangelism is so important? If we don't get to them with the truth, these devils will get to them. And they'll keep them for a week, two weeks, a month, put them up, and they'll inculcate them with more occultism than you and I can wrap our head around in a lifetime. At Eslan, you will learn how to live in connection with self and earth. Yeah. How about God? <laughs> Anybody remember him? I remember back in New Jersey, I used to go to this park, and there was this man there. And this man was, he's digging his feet deep in the earth, and he's, and I knew what he was doing. He was doing, you like that, huh, Seth? He was doing his Tai Chi. He was doing his Kung Fu. He was doing his connection with the earth. So I said to him, I said, how's your connection with your chi energy in the earth? And that opened up the conversation because I knew what he was doing. And he started talking to me in his new age mumbo jumbo. And I gave the man the gospel. All the way to connect with the creation. To Void your mind of the union you need with the creator. And it's all the same thing, just wrapped in different clothing. It's just a, a wolf in different clothes. And it's new age mumbo jumbo. So uh, Eslon, because it was such a big place, that is where the Enneagram really started to grow in its popularity. And Claudio Narejo was given credit for that because he really did bring it into the new age and psychic communities in a big way.
guess who Claudio met at Esalen? A Roman Catholic priest by the name of, we learned about him last week, Richard Rohr. And you know who the father of the, the Enneagram is nowadays? Richard Rohr. And all the modern, up-to-date folks that are getting this into the churches have all inculcated themselves by writings and teachings and books by Richard Rohr. Narejo taught him at Eslon. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, to be fair to them, they never endorsed this idea. Not the church as a whole. Matter of fact, remember we talked about those different lines of priests? A Roman Catholic priest that was from the Jesuit line, Mitch Pacwa, he even wrote a book warning Catholics about this false doctrine. Why would you as a Catholic be at a New Age conference? Why would you be at a New Age institute? Because you're looking in the wrong places. Why is Richard Rohr so important? Because he is the man that introduced the Enneagram at an emerging church conference. And that's how it got into the church. What's the emerging church? If you don't know what the emerging church is, their philosophy is, since culture changes, a new church should emerge. The emerging church, if you've not heard the term, you know what it is. They emphasize experience over Bible doctrine. They emphasize feelings over Bible preaching. Well, how do you feel today? What, is, what has been your experience? How about who cares? How about thus saith the scriptures? How about what does the Bible say? And filter your experience and filter your emotions. I'm not trying to throw out people's experience. I'm not trying to throw out people's emotions. You want to grow as a Christian? Get with one of the older men of the, as, of the church. They got a lot of experience. <laughs> they don't raise their kids and have grandkids. And, and some of them have great grandkids. And they got a lot of experience dealing with people. Experience is good. But it's not the way that we measure truth. I had an experience, therefore it's true. There's a lot of people that have an experience when they go to see the devil, Benny Hinn. They have an experience, all right. You get a bunch of people walking an aisle and some devil putting their hand on their forehead and they're falling backwards and having themselves a, uh, some type of an epileptic fit in the name of Jesus. It's all false. All of it's false. Did they have an experience? They did. But they better not be trusting that because that experience is le leading them away. The emerging church, one of their big things that they brought into it is contemplative prayer. We all should be praying group prayer. We should be praying individually. We should be praying, praying, praying corporately. Contemplative prayer is a new age way of trying to douse it as Christian. You take a word or you take a phrase and you keep repeating this word or this phrase. And the idea is to clear your mind of all distraction. 
and your focus is on having a mystical experience with God. You know where it's from? The pits of hell. That's where it's from. And it's been embraced by the church. I say I'm using that term loosely because I don't believe the true church would embrace it. But this is what you have in a lot of these big modern mega style outfits. Contemplative prayer it was birthed from Roman Catholicism and Greek Orthodox religion. It came from monasticism. Monasticism means being alone. It's those three ways that we just talked about. They isolate themselves. This is where we get the word monasteries. Where does the monk go? Where does the priest go? Where does the nun go? Alone. In a monastery. To do what? Contemplate. And meditate. Word after word. Phrase after phrase. You know what these gung fu guys do? They do the same motions over and over. Do it all. It's all repetitive, all of it. You know what the yogis and the yoginis do? They do the same motions over and over in sequence. You know what contemplative prayer does? The same word, the same phrase, over and over in sequence. The yogis will worship the sun. They call it the sun salutations. They will do the same motions. They'll come up. They'll bring their hands together. They'll look at the sun. Then they'll bring their palms and their hands down. They'll bow down to the sun. And then they'll bring a leg forward. It'll face east. And then they'll do all of it. And it's a, it's a salute to the sun. And it'll do those motions over and over again. And the church will say, well, what's wrong with that? It's just about exercise. Well, I just told you what's wrong with it. And if anybody thinks they're going to call up and say, well, can we, do you have a yoga class that we can attend? No, this is a church. <laughs> but you can go all over the United States of America and during the week, you can go to someone that has a big family life center and you can take a yoga class at a Christian church. It all comes from the occult and false religion. They renounce worldly pursuits. And you're supposed to dedicate your life to spiritual work in isolation. Well, how can you dedicate yourself to spiritual work in isolation when God told us to go out into all the world and preach the gospel? you got to be around people. The emerging church brings in contemplative prayer. Now, let me share with you this quote. Christian contemplative prayer or contemplation which was practiced by innumerable monks and nuns and now lay people from the times of the desert fathers to the present. These are supposed to be church fathers. Goes deep within the heart to meet God ever present within, though without thoughts, words, or images, because he is beyond them. That's the whole philosophy behind the emerging church. They redefined prayer. They redefined evangelism. They redefined everything. Experience, feelings, imagery, nonograms. 
It's all appealing to them. Contemplative prayer. If you have kids or you have grandkids, you ever hear the adventures in Odyssey? Focus on the family. They brought it all into their outfit. Well, you're being mean. You shouldn't be exposing that or talking about negative about other Christians. When another Christian so-called brings occultism in, then all bets are off. Adventures in Odyssey put out a CD called Father Gilbert Mysteries. You know what Father Gilbert teaches the kids to do? Contemplative prayer. Well, there's four or five of them that are good, and I didn't know that one was bad. Then throw that one out or throw all of them out. I'm not going to tell you what to do on that. What I'm saying is Father Gilbert is an Anglican priest, and he joins a monastery. While he's there, he studies the classic spiritual disciplines of prayer and meditation. I thought we were supposed to get that from studying the Bible and learning more about God. I don't want my kids learning about mysticism from Father Gilbert. Father Gilbert can go back to his monastery. That's where Father Gilbert can go. The emerging church rejects the idea of biblical standards and holy living, which is why the first thing the emergent church will do, if you go, to, if you were to send me away to one of the, the, the yearly emerging church conference, there's plenty of them that you can send me to. When I come back, the first thing that I'd be tell, told to do in their weekend seminar would be to get every single one of you off of the King James Bible. You know why? They don't know anything about textual criticism. <laughs> they don't study manuscripts. They have no idea what an Alexandrian line of text would be as opposed to an Antiochian line of text would be. They would, they'd be so far out of there. They, they have no clue what that means. You know why they would want me to get you off the King James Bible? Because there's something about this book that comes with it. It's holy living. It's right living. It's music standards. It's dress standards. It's preaching standards. And you know what the modern church don't want? None of that. That's why they want you off the King James. Yet every major revival that was worth its grain of salt, I'm not talking about a major revival bringing 5,000 people into a building to hold hands with the lights out, burning candles, and having Father Gilbert lead you through a contemplative prayer. I'm not talking about that. That's not a revival. That's hocus pocus fooey. All the real major revivals came with a preacher with a King James Bible under his arm. So I'm going to keep it. And I'm going to ask you to keep it. And if you want to invest in your preacher to go to one of these conferences, Surely I'll go, but they'll probably I'll probably be returning early because they will not want me around. I'll be the guy sitting at the lunch table by himself. What are you sitting all alone for? You don't want to sit with me because if you do, you're going to be over there like those guys. Just junk. It's junk. So what happens in the emergent church is truth just becomes relevant. Everything becomes extremely ecumenical, and that's why false doctrine is rampant in emerging style churches. And that is why the Enneagram can find roots in it.
if a church is using the Enneagram in their Bible preaching or their small group studies, or you have Sunday school lessons where you're learning the Enneagram, you need to know that's an emergent style church. And as soon as they bring in the occult, you can disagree on Bible versions. That doesn't make you an occultist. You can disagree on end times. That doesn't make you an occultist. You can disagree on uh, holy living standards. That doesn't make you an occultist. Bringing in their practices makes you an occultist. Okay. All bets are off. All bets are off. I know plenty of men that don't preach out of the King James Bible, that still witness, that still love the Lord, the gospel central. They're not occultists. You bring in occultism, you're an occultist. And your church has ceased to be a New Testament church. Matthew 7. We'll wrap this thing up. Matthew 7, verse number 13, the Bible says, enter ye in at the ecumenical gate. No, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way. There is no ecumenical way that will ever be truly biblical. They're trying to embrace everything and everyone. And it can't be more clear by the words of Jesus Christ. The narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. So we've got to help the few find it. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets. Which come to you in sheep's clothing. The outward doesn't give it away because Father Gilbert seems to live an outward nice life, doesn't he? The outward doesn't give it away, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. What's the fruit? Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Their fruits, it's the doctrine that is springing out of them. The doctrine that they teach and preach. We've got to know doctrine. That's why God gave us a Bible. Put us in with a group of Christians so we could learn doctrine. Every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Now look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? See how they point to what they do? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works what are they pointing to what they do what their works are that's the warning that's the warning go to deuteronomy 18 and second timothy 2 and we'll close off this lesson in these two passages deuteronomy 18 and second timothy chapter number two I know this is for the nation, but I really wish more New Testament Christians would take the Old Testament serious because God was very, very serious. Uh, look at verse 11. 
He doesn't want, well, look, I mean, verse 10, there shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter pass to fire, uh, daughter to pass through the fire, or that used divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. And that should be a simple Old Testament verse that should easily convince any Christian that if they're dabbling or reading or watching any of the uh, sorcery that comes out of Disney or any of the uh, Harry Potter um, junk, she, she's not a good author because she's going against the author of this book. She's not. I don't care how much money she makes. I don't care how much money Walt makes. You know what he wanted? In the 1950s, you know what was on every main street in America? A church. Every main street in America was a church. You know what Walt Disney wanted? One main street in America without a church. And he made one in Disneyland. Where your mind gets dizzy with humanistic philosophy. And the entire thing wants to inculcate children with the LBGTQ agenda. And before that, it was sorcery and wizardry. And Christian parents are blogging and Facebooking and Instacinning everything about Disney and how they enjoy it and their kids enjoy it. It's a bad move. Make another move. Make another move. The verse I wanted to get to is verse number 20. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. God said, you speak against my word, get involved with this stuff. God pronounces death upon that prophet. Now, if that isn't a warning that could be applied to this modern-day ecumenical emerging church, I don't know what is. They're more interested in the latest haircut, the latest, the latest laptop and iPad they can preach out of, the latest cool-looking stool that they can sit on, yeah, rather than the Word of God. It's all about trying to be relevant as they bring in aneograms and witches and sorcery. Aneogram is not self-improvement. Second Timothy 2. Aneogram is designed to transform your consciousness and move you away from God. All the aneogram does in its very root is it tries to point you back to look within. That's why the book we looked at last week is entitled the road back to you. It's all designed for you to look within. Second Timothy 2 will end here. Verse number 2. The Bible says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. I want to be faithful. I want the men here to be faithful so that we all can teach 
others also and be a light to this lost and dying world. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.